Hey, great to see all of you here today on this Labor Day weekend. I know you got a lot of places you could be, but you're here, and I'm thrilled that you're here, and it's good to see you. Um, hey, as we get started here, let me just uh, kind of bring you up to date on a couple things real quick. Um, every summer, if you were with us through the summer, you know that um, we go through uh, elder recommendations and nominations for who's going to join our elder team, and uh, we've come to that point in this whole summer, this whole process, we feel like God has highlighted two men in our church that uh, will be joining the elder team, and we have two elders that are rotating off our eldership as well. To be an elder here, or when you're an elder here, you serve for three years, and then you rotate off. That's kind of how we do eldership here. So we got two guys that are rotating off that have served really well as elders. Joe Vadalero and Doug Mitzner are rotating out of their terms. Would you give them a big hand of applause? They've served our church well. When you see them out in the hallways, tell them thank you, and uh, they're wrapping up their term. And then there's two men that we believe that God has raised up in our church to, to join the eldership, Chris Mabe and, and Theron Donnell. And um, we've got information on both of those guys out at the welcome table. I'd like for you to stop by there and pick up a little biographical information about them um, that we're providing for you. And I'm gonna be sending out some stuff this week by email, just kind of talking about them a little bit more. And what we'd like for you to do is just pray over these two guys for the next couple of weeks. So if you've got questions for them, ask away. They're ready. If you'd like to ask any of, of our elders or myself any questions, let us know. Uh, but uh, we're going to be uh, talking about them a little bit more in the future. But two weeks from now, we're going to have an affirmation vote as a congregation. So um, I'm excited about this. So that's out there. I want you to pick that up on your way out. Now question, how many of you were at our church picnic last weekend? All right, I love it. Wasn't that just a wonderful time together? I mean, I think that's probably one of my favorite events of the whole year where we come together. Great turnout. God gave us great weather that day, didn't he? Just beautiful weather. And if I'm saying that, then you know it's true because I don't like the sun very much. I, I sweat a lot, but it was, it was good. And the food was wonderful. The fellowship was even better. And we just had a wonderful time. I hope you're able to participate and be, feel like you're more part of this church family. You know, my, I think my favorite part of the whole evening happened after most of you already went home. We were cleaning up, and, and you know that big horse trough that we had full of like cans of pop and water, where we're emptying out all the rest of those uh, leftover beverages, and what remained was uh, this, about, uh, the horse trough was about a third of the way full with the coldest ice water you can imagine. And a big empty tank of, or a, a half empty tank of just full of cold ice water is like a calling card for the youth group. And they all wanted to jump, jump in. I think my son was the first one in. And then one by one, kids that were there started jumping in to this. And it was ice cold. Let me tell you, it was freezing. And, and, and then our youth pastor, Taylor, he happened to wander up. And you know what that means. They start cheering for Taylor. He was obligated to go in. And I just wanted to share with you this very special moment. Watch this. <laughs> and that's why we love him so much and another visual reason for why I never pursued youth ministry ever <laughs> ever I went straight to preaching Bible college into preaching 
Anyway, well, uh, I hope you were able to enjoy uh, that picnic. It's just a wonderful time to, to come together as a church family. You know, last week I started a, a really a two-part sermon that we're just calling in a series called Grouped. We're taking a, a few weekends here, last week and this week, to kind of turn our attention and focus in on the importance in our church family for there to be community and unity right here at our church. And do you remember from last week's message, we looked at the 133rd Psalm, and King David wrote about how much God loves unity of his people. Do you remember the description? David said, it's like oil running down the head, running down the beard, running down off the beard onto the collar. It's like the dew of Hermon, the rain high on the mountain that flows down and blesses the regions down below. That's how God That's how much God loves it when his people are unified together and and come together like that. It's just pleasant to him. We believe here at New Life that life groups can be a great expression of this kind of community and this kind of unity. And like I shared last week, we have this vision just that everybody who calls New Life home would one day be in one of these life groups, which is a smaller gathering of people usually around eight to 12 people who meet in somebody's home to grow together in faith and community through prayer, study, fellowship, and service. That's our vision. That's what we're aiming for. We don't see ourselves as a church that has some life groups that you can be a part of. No, no, no. We see ourselves as a church made up of life groups, and all of those life groups come together and form the body of Christ here at New Life Christian Church. So last week, out in the atrium, and the same as this week, we've got tables set up there. A lot of our life group leaders that um, are are still have openings in their groups are going to be out there, and they'd love to visit with you today. We'd love for you to take a couple minutes after this service today and just walk out there, meet some leaders, learn a little bit more about our life groups, and if God leads you in that direction, we'd love for you to, to join one of those life groups. So every life group out there has space available, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. You're going to know their life group leaders because they're They're out by the tables. They're all wearing the exact same T-shirt together. Well, not the exact T-shirt, but the same design T-shirt. And uh, it says group leader on it, and they would love to visit with you um, about that. All of our life groups are going to kick off officially after September 12th. And um, and I really hope you'll pray about it, because at the end of the day, what what the Bible seems to indicate very clearly is this. We need each other. We need each other. That's the way God designed it. In fact, if you go to the very beginning of the Bible from the opening pages in Genesis, when God created everything, God had in mind that life would be lived in the context of relationships. Now, speaking of the book of Genesis, I'm really excited to tell you that next weekend, I'm starting a brand new series. I'm just so pumped about this. I hope you don't miss it. Uh, I'm starting a new series just called Origins, and it's going to be a chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Genesis, and I cannot wait to do this. I believe God is going to show us some things as a church family through studying through the book of Genesis. I think he's going to sure up our faith, the foundation of our church, and then I think we're all going to grow through this. So I want to invite you next week to come and be a part of the launch of this next sermon series just called Origins. And as I preach through the book of Genesis, all of our life groups are also going to be studying through the book of Genesis as well. Now, we've done it this way for a number of years where we align the preaching on Sunday 
with the study of our life groups throughout the week. So, so what's gonna happen is, is you come in here next week, you're gonna receive a study guide, a life group study guide. You can pick it up, a physical copy, or you, it will be available on the app and you can do it digitally as well. But as you leave church and you go to your first life group gathering that week, you're gonna be studying the same passage of scripture and text that we started on Sunday morning. That's one of the ways that we stay aligned as a church, and it has served our church family really well. So we're gonna dig it out even deeper in our life groups, we're gonna grow and we're gonna study, and we're gonna have this kind of fellowship, and we're gonna be praying together, and it's a wonderful part of our community and unity as a church. And that all kicks off next, next week. But what's very clear from the opening pages of the Bible is that we need each other. Do you remember what God said when he started creating the world? The very beginning he said, let there be light, and the light separated from the darkness. And do you remember what God said about that? He said, it is good. Do you remember? It is good. And then God gathered the, the water into one place, and the dry ground appeared. And he called the dry ground land, and the water he called sea. And what did he say about it? He said, it is good. And then God made the land to produce vegetation. We see trees, plants, fruits, vegetables, literally all kinds of stuff. And God, what did he say about it? He said, it is good. And he made the sun, moon, the stars. And what else did he say? It is good. And then God filled the water with all kinds of living creatures. And, and he filled the air with all kinds of birds. And he said, it is good. And then he did the same thing with the land. He created livestock and creatures that move along the ground, wild animals. And he looked at all that and he said, it is good. And then he created man. Somebody like us in his own image. And he put man, Adam, in the garden to work the garden. And then for the first time in all of God's creation, he said what? It is not good. Isn't that interesting? Something about this was not, was not good. And what does it say in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18? The Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. What did God see? Did God see loneliness in Adam's life? What, what did he see? He saw an individual going through life that God had put him on this planet to do, and he was going about it all by himself, and God's like, that is not good. So what was the very next thing that God did? He created a woman. He created Eve, and the population of the planet went from one to two, just like that. And we've been fighting for the remote control to the TV ever since, okay? From day one, from the very beginning, God created us to do life in the context of relationships. And of course, that sets the path forward for marriage, but beyond marriage, the principle is, listen, I, I didn't design all this for you guys to go through life all by yourself, because that's not, not good. Now, there are people, you've met them, I've met them in my ministry for many years. I, I meet people like this from time to time. Maybe you used to be like this. But there are people who say, I don't need anybody. You ever talk to anybody like that? I don't need anybody. It's been my experience that somebody who puts on that rough exterior of like, I don't need anybody, I'm just fine by myself, are usually the people that need relationships more than anybody else. It's not good to be alone. Many, many years ago, I mentioned to you I never did youth ministry. That was not a part of my career that I pursued. But for a short year, 
Um, I was a college pastor in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where Oklahoma State University is at. Our church was a fairly large church, and, and, um, and we had several hundred college students coming and as part of our church and our ministry, and I got to lead all that. It was, it was a lot of fun. It's kind of the same stuff you saw Taylor do. There's just not as many uh, youth leaders around. It's all right, just the college kids. But I'll tell you, one of the most intriguing observations that I made during that one year as a college pastor is that many of the college students that came to our church were experiencing some significant loneliness in their life. And I, I remember the time going, how can this be? I, I mean, I look at in my impression where at that time I wasn't that much older than the college students. But I thought they go to college with thousands of other students. You sit in class with hundreds of other students. Many of them lived in dorms or fraternities or sororities and they, they've been a part of clubs and intramural sports and, 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 and extracurricular activities and they're surrounded by people all the time and I, I was intrigued by the fact that many of them would sit down and meet with me and they said, I don't have anybody. I'm alone. I'm, I'm lonely. Isn't it true that you can stand in a crowded room and feel all alone? That you can have people near your person but very far away from your heart that you can be the life of the party and still be relationally void and lonely it's true author Vance Packard calls America a nation of strangers Bob Russell one of my favorite preachers on the planet he's retired now he does a lot of writing but uh, he used to be the, the minister at Southeast Christian Church, was one of the largest Christian churches in America, in Louisville, Kentucky. He said one time, we are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in our society. Insurance carrier Cigna released a survey in January of 2020. It's a survey they've been doing for several years. And this survey revealed that three out of five Americans are lonely. With more people in this survey reporting that they uh, felt like they were left out of things, that they were poorly understood, and they lacked companionship. They started this survey in 2018, and they update it every year. They redo it. And between 2018 and, 20, and 2020, in that short amount of time, their survey revealed a 13% increase in loneliness of those who they surveyed. And that study was released one month before the pandemic landed in all of our laps. You can only imagine. It's probably increased greatly since then. Interesting, this report said that loneliness was more common among men and heavy users of social media were more lonely compared to light users. Feelings of isolation was across the board through all the generations, but Generation Z, the 18 to 22-year-olds, were experiencing the highest levels of loneliness out of all the generations. Now, isn't that interesting? 18 to 22-year-olds. The boomers were the least, the 55 to 73-year-olds had the lowest levels of loneliness, but experienced it nonetheless. There's no doubt in my mind that the loneliness that many are experiencing in our country today, that has certainly crept inside of our churches all across America. And I think about the church, and I, I, I think about this organization, I use that word carefully, but the church, the organization of the church, isn't this the one place for everybody? 
I mean, the place where you are supposed to feel a part of something, something bigger than yourself, something that you're a part of, a place for a solid, lifelong relationships where they can grow and, th- th- and, and flourish and, and develop. This place, the church, can sometimes be a very lonely place too. I'm not naive, and I don't want to leave the impression that if you join a life group today, all of these problems and all of these emotions, and they just instantly go away. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I don't believe that life groups can solve every struggle that we have in life. But I do believe this from my study of God's word, that we were made, that God put in us, that we need to have each other in our lives, that we need people in our lives. And I believe that life group sure helps us get down the road towards that. Tell you, having brothers and sisters in Christ in our lives helps us meet the challenges of the world better. Helps me. It helps us to absorb some of those hard blows that life sometimes sends our way. And you know what else it can do? It enhances the joy that comes into our lives as well when we share that with other people. Good and solid Christian relationships help us grow in our faith, our walk with Jesus. Craig Rochelle, real famous pastor from Oklahoma, Life Church, it's his church, multi-site ministry, He wrote a book a few years ago called Confessions of a Pastor, and he makes this observation in that book about God and loneliness. He says, why is God so passionate about loneliness? He says, because he deeply values relationships. He knows us better than Michelangelo knew the Sistine Chapel ceiling. So he wants us to know him, and we come to know him more by sharing his love with one another. I agree with that, that our walk with the Lord is greatly impacted, enhanced, when we are walking with others in Christ. So that's one of the reasons we're so passionate about life groups, why we're taking some time these last few weekends here to to talk about it. Because as a church family, we wanna do everything within our ability to make it possible for these kind of relationships to, to develop and grow and thrive. And one of the driving forces in that is the very fact that from the very opening pages of the Bible, God put in us, God said it's not good to go through life all by yourself and we need people. And we believe life groups is a great way. Not only is it just a great way to fulfill the need that we need people, but our walk with God, as I was saying, is deeply impacted by our relationship with others. I'm gonna show you how in scripture. I'm gonna read a bunch of scriptures to you. I'm gonna give them to you in rapid fire. I'm not gonna give you all the scripture references, but they are all listed in the app. So if you wanna go back and look up any of them, just go to the app, they're there. But just listen to what the New Testament tells us about how our walk with God and our relationship with others, they just go together. That's how God designed them. It says this in, in Romans 12:10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't really do that, especially with the pandemic going around. But you know the heart behind that, and culturally speaking, it was a be warm, hospitable, warm greeting, love one another. Serve one another in love. Agree with one another. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. These were all instructions to the church. 
Be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Encourage one another and build each other up. Live in peace with each other. Try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Do, do you see in this, the list could go on. God designed it. He instilled it into the church. It's overlaid from the very beginnings of the church. God established this thing called the church to help us in our need for other people. Obviously, we're Christians because we follow Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, but within that context of the church, we need each other. And I tell you, life groups, I can tell you what me being a part of a life group for the last 22 years of my life, what it's done for me and our, our marriage and our friendships and relate, all that, I can't say enough good things about it. It is a component of this church family that if you've yet to experience can be one of the greatest things you've ever been a part of. Consider this, Jesus, the son of the living God, so even Jesus invested his life into a small group. Did you ever think about that? Even Jesus had a small group. He had a smaller group of guys that he did life with. Do you know their names? The Bible tells us who they are. Let me just tell you in case you forgot, Matthew 10 too. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's also called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You see, even they took attendance in his life group, not just us. I'll take attendance. That was Jesus, a small group. Those were his guys. Those were his people. Those are the guys that he spent the most time with while he traveled. He invested two to three years of his life into this small group of guys, and they deeply invested into one another. This small group, you think about it, they grew together, they fellowshiped together, they prayed together, they grew in their knowledge of the scriptures and the word of God. I mean, they were with the one, the word who became flesh. They were with Jesus. They were in the word, trust me. They were actively involved in ministry. They saw amazing things happen. I'll look at the scriptures. There's no examples, really, of Lone Ranger Christians out there. Even Jesus, when he would send his disciples out to do ministry, he didn't send them out by themselves. He sent them out two by two so they would be together. Jesus invested his life into small groups, especially this group of disciples. It makes sense to me that just a very short time later when the church started, that its foundational ministry would happen in the context of smaller groups of people. We looked at this last week. It's worth looking at again, Acts 2.42. They, these very first Christians, this is after the day of Pentecost, the church got started. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to breaking bread, and prayer. These four things, they weren't just something they did, they were the main thing. It was the big deal for this church. They did it in people's homes from the earliest days. It was done daily. Voted to God's word, what Jesus taught them, to the Lord's Supper, remembering Christ's sacrifice on the cross, fellowship, and, and prayer. And then what was the result of all that? It says in verse 40, for all the believers were together and had everything in common. They, they, do you hear the unity? Do you hear the togetherness there? They sold property and possessions. They gave to anyone who had need. They just took care of each other. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They had each other. They needed each other. And they enjoyed the fellowship of the body. It was the very fabric of the church. And it says in the very last verse that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, the early church was built on relationships, and I don't see that changing throughout the course of the New Testament or the church age all the way up to the 21st century right here in Bella Vista, Arkansas. We are better when we are living our Christian life in the context of relationships. And if I tell you, if, if life groups can be a part of that journey, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. You know, one of my favorite places in my home is my back deck. Do you guys spend a lot of time on your back porches or back deck or... It's probably one of my favorite places. It's a covered, it's a large deck, it's covered, but it's open to nature. So there's a lot of nature out there, and, and I write a lot of sermons out there. I spend time out there in quietness, and in fact, the bulk of this sermon that I'm preaching today was written right on the back deck of my house. Um, a few years ago, my wife hung a couple hummingbird feeders out there. Do you guys, anybody have hummingbird feeders at your house? I've, I've never researched hummingbird behavior before. I've... Never really paid much attention to it from a scientific point of view. Um, I don't know where hummingbirds come from. I know they show up for a few months out of the year and they leave. Okay, I don't, I don't know where they migrate from. I, my wife could tell you, but I've just never paid any attention to it. Everything I know about hummingbirds, I have learned just by sitting there and observing them as I sit on my back deck and, and I watch them. And so from my observation of, of hummingbirds, I want to share with you what it is. Here's my observation. Hummingbirds are jerks. <laughs> I'm just telling you, hummingbirds are jerks. They are the smallest birds in the air, but they are the biggest jerks of the bird kingdom. It's true. They are super territorial, as I observe. They're mean to one another. Um, they, uh, I've seen hummingbirds just, just chase. Yeah, look at this one. Now, check that out. Now, now, what did that bird do? What did that bird do to anybody? Nothing. They're super territorial birds. I've seen one bird chase off four or five other birds and not let them get anywhere close to the feeder. And so the other day, I was sitting on my back deck, and there was this one hummingbird, more aggressive than any hummingbird I've ever seen before. And um, just, he was absolutely terrorizing. I'm assuming it's a boy. I uh, can't really tell. But, you know, just terrorizing all the other birds, and I got angry about it. So I nicknamed this hummingbird Saddam Hussein. All right, so that's what I, I'm out there and I'm watching Saddam Hussein, the hummingbird, do what he's doing. Saddam would perch on a branch about 20 feet away from one of our bird feeders, and anytime another hummingbird tried to get a drink, Saddam would swoop in and hit it and just, I'm gonna be honest with you, I got mad. That's right, I got mad at a hummingbird sitting on my back deck, and um, I had this thought go through my mind. I'm gonna take him out. <laughs> I did. I've got a BB gun, and I'm a really good shot, and I thought, I'm taking you out, Saddam. It's gonna be a surgical strike, and, um, and when I take you out, all the other birds' lives are going to get much, much better. And uh, now, for the record, I did not shoot Saddam, all right? <laughs> Turns out they're a little harder to hit than I thought. But it, no, I'm, no, I'm kidding. I did, I'm just joking. I did not even try, okay? I'll just be clear. I don't need you to send me emails this week. 
I never even got out my BB gun and I never even tried, okay? I never tried to shoot Saddam. But what I did think about doing, I did think about just putting all the bird feeders away because I was angry at this stupid bird. And I thought about just putting all the hummingbird feeders away and like, I'll show you, Saddam, if you're not gonna share, then nobody gets anything and I'll just put them all away. And it was interesting as I am going through this in my mind, sitting on my back deck, it's weird. I, I think in that moment, I understood something about God just a little better than before. Because the reality is this. We, and but I mean we, I mean my wife, my wife makes sure that those feeders never run out, ever. There is a never-ending flow of blessings from us to the hummingbirds. They don't need to fight for this. They don't need to be mean. They don't need to protect it. They don't have to go it alone at all because the reality is this, it's never going to run out and we have enough hummingbird food to feed every hummingbird in Northwest Arkansas, I believe. It's never going to run out. And from my point of view, as the provider of the food, how much better would those hummingbird lives be, especially Saddam's, if they could just come together in unity? I, I think... If, if I could witness these birds stop fighting and get along with one another and come together in unity and share and go about their daily lives in great harmony with one another, you know what I think I'd be tempted to do? I think I would put out more hummingbird feeders. I think I would overwhelm them with opportunities to eat. I would want more hummingbirds to come and be a part and have this kind of wonderful unity. I would provide them with even more blessings of food, and I think about the message of the Bible, how we need each other. It's very clear from Scripture that our lives are better together, and we know that it's good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity, and when that happens, God's blessings just flow out from him. It's like oil running down the head through the beard Onto the collar. It's like the, the, the water on Mount Hermon flowing down and blessing everyone. It's something very special about God's people who live together in great unity and harmony. It's pleasant to him and his blessings just flow. Friends, I think maybe one of the greatest strengths we have as a church is the unity we have in our church family. We are bound together by God's word in the core doctrines of the Bible. We believe that Jesus is the only way. We come around that together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we share wonderful unity and community. And we grow together through study of God's word, through prayer together, alignment around the same things, fellowship. And we have a wonderful experience as a church family. Youth ministers jump in ice buckets. We have all kinds of things that happen here. And I think back in the book of Acts, how people cared for one another, loved on one another, and experienced this kind of unity. And what was the result? The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Have you noticed all the baptisms we've been having lately? That's not an accident. So friends, let me encourage you today. If you're not in a life group, really consider joining one. 
I really do believe that we're better together. I believe we're meant to live our lives in the context of relationships. I do believe that our faith in the Lord is greatly enhanced by other people in our lives. This is where the network where you get loved on and cared for, and it's where you're missed, and it's where you develop really wonderful friendships. And I hope when you leave here today, you'll walk out to the atrium, and you'll give God a chance to open a door for something that could be one of the most wonderful blessings in your life. And speaking from somebody that's been in life groups for many years, my life is greatly enhanced by the people that God has brought into my life and my wife's life in a very, very close way. Our lives are better living in this context, and I want you to experience it as well. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to sing again. Lord, I just thank you for your teaching in the Word and how you guide us down the path we're supposed to go. It's like your Word says, your, your Word is a light into our path, and I, pr- I, I believe, Lord, you are lighting our path for us. Lord, I pray. I pray for our church family, and I would just pray, Lord, that you protect the unity that we have together, the unity around your word, the core teachings of your word, Lord, that we would remain unified together in our purpose and mission, and Lord, I just pray you use our life groups to help continue to build that unity, and I pray specifically, Lord, for those in our church family who maybe are new to our community, they haven't found their people yet, Lord, I pray that you open the door for them to find their people. Lord, I, am, I know that there's some loneliness in our church. I know that we deal with this usually privately, which doesn't help. I pray, Lord, for anybody in our church who's experiencing loneliness, that, Lord, you bring people into their life. That, Lord, through other people, you will show them just how much you care for them. And I pray, Lord, they can experience that right here at New Life. Lord, I pray for anybody in this church today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would say, I've seen enough and I've heard enough and I'm ready to follow Jesus. I repent of my sins and I'm turning over a next chapter in my life and this next chapter is gonna be all about living for the Lord. I I pray, Lord, you're doing that work in people's life right now. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. Without Jesus, we're nothing. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope in the future. Lord, the things we're talking about couldn't happen without you. And so it's all, all about you, Lord. I thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.